the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to In the Word, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. We hope that God speaks to you today as we continue our study verse by verse, chapter by chapter through the Bible with Senior Pastor Will Ramirez. Today, as we continue our study in the book of 1 Samuel, David finds a kindred spirit in Jonathan, and Saul starts to see David as a rival. We'll pick it up in 1 Samuel chapter 18, verse 1. The title of the message is, A Jealous Heart. First Samuel chapter 18, and our whole focus of First Samuel is lessons from the heart. And so we've been learning various lessons from hearts that are in a good spot, hearts that are in a bad spot. And right now, unfortunately, we're focusing a lot on Saul, where his heart's in a bad spot. So, But in chapter 17, we saw that while David served as Saul's administrative assistant at the palace, when the Philistines invaded Israel, Saul deemed him a liability on the battlefield and sent him home. But we know how that worked out, right? Eventually, David comes to the battlefield, sees what Goliath's doing, challenges Goliath, defeats Goliath, and Israel is victorious. And so by killing Goliath and becoming the catalyst for Israel's victory over the Philistines, David has set himself up now as a permanent fixture in Saul's entourage. But David's good standing with Saul begins to stir up Saul's weakness, Because remember, what is Saul trying to do? What's his chief aim? It's to maintain his kingdom no matter what. Even when the Lord says something, he still wants to make, that is his number one goal, is to maintain his kingdom at all costs. And thus, as David prospers, Saul develops a jealous heart, treating David wickedly, even to the point of attempted murder. So chapter 18, verse 1, we're going to study Saul's jealous heart. So then it came to pass when he, David, had made an end of speaking unto Saul, that the soul of Jonathan was knit with the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. And Saul took him that day and and would let him go no more home to his father's house. Well, then Jonathan and David made a covenant because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was upon him and gave it to David, and his garments even to his sword and to his bow and to his girdle. And David went out whithersoever Saul sent him and behaved himself wisely. So Saul set him over the men of war, and he was accepted in the sight of the people and also in the sight of Saul's servants. We see here that David begins to become elevated in his position in the nation just very quickly. It mentions here that, remember at the end of the battle, that Saul told Abner, his general, he said, who is this guy? I mean, I know who he is, but where... What's his family history? Where did he learn to do this? And Abner goes, I don't know. 
And so they call him in, they question David, and David just says, I'm, I'm, just, I'm just David. My family is my family. We're nobody special. And Saul is just baffled by this. So David remains humble in the midst of this incredible elevation. And so when that conversation is over, it mentions that someone else overheard all this stuff. Someone else was watching. It says that when their conversation was over, that the soul of Jonathan was knit with the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. The word there, knit, it it speaks of being kindred spirits. It speaks of being united with somebody. And and when it mentions here that Jonathan loved him, loved David as his own soul, people like to get weird with that. But however, this is the same word that is used for Saul's affection for David in 1 Samuel 16, 21. It's the same exact word. It, It describes affection, brotherly love. There is nothing romantic about this word at all. The very notion that Jonathan and David had a homosexual or romantic relationship is absurd. Jonathan's connection here with David, that they have this kindred spirit, they have this brotherly love for one another, it's directly tied here to David's conversation with Saul after Israel defeats the Philistines. Jonathan could relate to David's courage and faith because he'd done that himself when his dad was brooding and didn't do anything against the Philistines. He could relate to that. But I think David's simplicity and humility before his father, before, as Jonathan's watching David answer the king, I think that was the final piece. I think that Jonathan said, this guy's just like me. He just wants to follow the Lord. He, he just wants to keep it simple. And, and he, just, he just wants to do the right thing. And you know, some friendships, they are forged in the fire. You are nothing alike with them. You bump heads a lot at first, but through perseverance and genuine love, mutual respect and affection is born and you become close friends, right? Many of us probably have a friendship like that where it's not easy at first, okay? Marriage can be like that sometimes. (laughs) You're like, they're wonderful, they're wonderful. Then you start living together and you're like, oh my gosh, they drive me nuts. And you bump heads and, and it'd be through hard work and perseverance and genuine love, a real true friendship is born. However, some friendships also just kind of click. It's easy. You just kind of, bam, you hit it off. You're headed in exactly the same direction with exactly the same mindset. And that's what Jonathan and David's friendship was like. There's no butting of heads. We never see them at odds because neither of them has an ego. Neither of them has an agenda. They both want the same thing. And so they just click. And so if you're struggling finding close friendships or even if you struggle in your marriage relationship. I would encourage you to check yourself first because the questions you need to ask yourself are, are this, does, does my ego get in the way? Does my selfishness get in the way? Do I try to manipulate my friends or my spouse to get what I want from them? You know, do I persevere through differences and challenges? And do I have genuine love for others? Because most of the time, it's not necessarily like Jonathan and David. And yet God still wants us to have meaningful friendships. Well, verse two, it says that Saul takes David for himself at this point. Saul took him that day. It's that same word to to seize. David gets seized again. He just keeps getting seized all over the place. And yet he never complains. And this time Saul decides to make him a permanent fixture in his service. He would not let him go no more home to his father's house. David had a specific role in the court as Saul's assistant, but at this time, Saul says, no, I I want you to fill a greater role, a greater capacity. I don't want you going back home anymore. David will have many failures throughout his life, probably 
to be honest, if we're being honest with ourselves, he probably has more failures than Saul does. But there are so many areas where David is a shining example. Saul constantly pulls and pushes David. But all throughout their relationship, David never demands his rights. Never. He is a faithful subject to Saul, and he is a faithful friend to Saul through it all. Well, verse 3, it says, Then Jonathan and David, they made a covenant because he loved him as his own soul. That shows us that the language makes it clear that while this is an agreement between Jonathan and David, it is instigated by Jonathan. And Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was upon him and gave it to David and his garments, even to his sword and to his bow and to his girdle. It was very common in ancient times for soldiers who became friends to exchange armor. And the word there, garments, actually means his coat of armor. So this is a common ritual that that takes place when soldiers become close. The problem here is that David is just a shepherd. He doesn't have any armor. He doesn't have a weapon. I mean, he's got a staff, shepherd's staff. He's got four extra stones since it only took one to kill, you know, Goliath. But he doesn't have any of this stuff to give. And so he has no tools of war to give to Jonathan in the exchange. So the only one who's listed given anything in the exchange is Jonathan. The only thing David can bring to the exchange is himself. And I think that's an awesome picture of what Jesus does for us because Jesus' covenant with us is like Jonathan's with David. Jesus gives us everything because we have nothing to bring to the exchange except ourselves, right? Nothing. It's not like I can give something to Jesus and Jesus is going, oh, that's awesome. That makes me better. I can't bring anything to the exchange. It's all his grace. I bring myself. And the beautiful part is, just like Jonathan and David, that was enough for Jonathan. He said, that's all I'm asking for. I want your friendship. In the same way, the Lord is so glad to be in a friendship with us, to be in that relationship with us. Well, verse 5 David's a soldier now. He's not just an administrative assistant. And so David went out whithersoever Saul sent him. And he behaved himself wisely. The phrase behaved himself wisely is actually one word in the Hebrew. But the word combines both wisdom and success, which is why they translate it this way. Remember, David's not a soldier, and therefore he had a lot to learn as an important member of Saul's army. But what it's saying here is that wherever Saul sent him, he combined wisdom with success It means that he learned fast and he was successful on the battlefield and all the missions that he was sent on. And so as a result, Saul sets him over the men of war. And this promotion that David gets, he is accepted in the sight of all the people and also in the sight of Saul's servants. Now, this reward with a promotion that Saul gives to him, it is, I don't know about you, but you know, I was never one to be excited when someone who was newer than I was got a promotion quicker than I did. It is very rare for people to be happy when someone is promoted so quickly over them. It's rarer for politicians to be happy about it. But these folks genuinely like David. David inspired everyone. He had become a hero. He was an inspiration to the Israeli army. And now they saw he wasn't just a one-hit wonder. That this guy was the real deal. He's someone you could follow. He's someone you could trust. Which leads people to sing his praises. Verse 6, and it came to pass that as they came, when David was returned from the slaughter of the Philistine, that the women came out of all the cities of Israel singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tabrets and with joy and with instruments of music. And the women answered one another as they played and said, Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousands. And Saul was very wroth and the saying displeased him. 
And he said, they have ascribed to David ten thousands, and to me they have ascribed but thousands. And what can he have more but the kingdom? And so it says, saw I, David, from that day and forward. Now, this idea is the the campaign. David slays Goliath. He kind of comes back into the camp with Goliath's head and his sword and all this stuff. And immediately he's seized, brought before King Saul, and he's grilled with questions. After that's over, him and Jonathan just, they, they talk, they hit it off, they make this covenant. And then David is sent right back out of the campaign. So after this campaign that starts with the killing of the Philistine is over, we know where it headed if you read the end of chapter 17, because it talks about how the battle went here and here and here. When all that's over, the army now returns from this extended campaign back home, and there's a massive celebration waiting for them. Now note, who is the celebration for? It says, the women came out to meet King Saul. Verse 6 says, they came out of all the cities of Israel, singing and dancing to meet King Saul, with all these instruments and, and whatnot, and with great joy. Saul has the highest honor in this celebration. All the attention is focused on him as king. The victory is ascribed to him as their leader. But even though all of that's true, news of David's deeds have spread all over the nation, which prompts the women to sing something special that includes him as well, which is Saul has slain his thousands, but David is 10,000. No, it doesn't say, but David is 10,000. It says, and David is 10,000. That's an important difference because what Saul heard was Saul has slain his thousands, but David slain ten thousands. That's what he heard, but that's not what they sang. Never in the celebration is David given a place over Saul. There is zero ill intent in this song. All the honor is going to Saul, but what they are praising is how Saul and David have accomplished more together than what Saul did alone, and that is not an insult. That's not a slight. My very first pastor shared a story with me one day. I was young and I I spent a lot of time with him. He discipled me and he invested a lot into me. And I remember he told me a story when he first graduated from Bible college and he he got a job. He was it was a denominational school, and so they placed him in one of their churches. And he was the music director and the youth leader. And the senior pastor had, I don't know if he was on a mission trip or he had to go away for a bit anyway. And so he asked him to fill in for him for the congregational teaching. So he did for a month. And in that month, offerings went up, attendance went up, things were looking better in that sense. And so he was all excited. He thought, oh, praise the Lord what God's doing. You know, this is awesome. God's, he's just using me to be a help to him and to bless the rest of the church. And the pastor called him in when he returned and he said, There's only one solution when one guy's teaching and more people are coming and the offerings go up. And it means one of us has to go. He fired him. He fired him. Let's forget that story for now. I am so glad that there are so many different facets of our church that do well. And one of the things that makes me most happy is when I'm not a part of the things that are going well. And do you want to know why? Because it means what's going well is the Lord and doesn't have anything to do with just me. I find that to be comforting. When I see God doing something really awesome and I'm not involved in that, I find that to be comforting because then I go, look what God's doing. 
I am not the best leader by any stretch of the means. There are other guys out there who are better leaders, better pastors that I look up to. But I am so glad that I get to be a part of what God's doing. And I don't ever want to get like this. I don't ever want to have that thought process that, well, I'm not a part of this and it's doing really well. And must be nice. Because while I've never been that way in my life in the church I was serving in, I've been that way in other aspects in my life. When, you know, you're at work and someone else is just, they're doing awesome. And every time you show up, it's like swimming through mud. You know, it's just slow going and not a lot of results. I don't want to be like that in any area of my life. There's no slight towards Saul here. This is people being excited about something awesome that's happened. Because for decades, Israel has lived in fear of the Philistines. And now there appears to be a very real light at the end of the tunnel. And the sad part is, Saul doesn't see any of that. He sees it a different way. And so it says in verse 8 that Saul was very raw. Fraser means his temper reached a tipping point. It means he didn't have an outburst, but he was right at the point where he was going to have an outburst. He was livid. He was at the point where it was everything in him to not just blow up. And it tells us why. For the saying displeased him. The word there means it was evil in his eye. He thought it was a morally wrong thing. They had slighted him. They had done wrong by singing this and by saying this. This is a bad turn for the nation, not a good one. It is not good that people are excited like this. This is bad. And he explains why. Because they have ascribed unto David ten thousands, and to me they have ascribed but thousands. And so what more can he have but the kingdom? Now, if we're being honest, Saul's words and this experience show us way more about Saul's heart than it is about the people's heart. I imagine if you went out to the people there and they said, hey, uh, are, are you thinking like that David's better than Saul? I imagine most of these ladies would be like, what are you talking about? Why would you say that? I don't think anybody was thinking that except Saul, which is why it shows us a lot more about what's going on in here than it does in anybody else's heart at this whole celebration. All these people have a great amount of respect for King Saul. They're here to celebrate his victory as the king. But he can't see that because he thinks everyone else thinks like him. A word of advice. Just because you're thinking it doesn't mean anyone else is. Just because you're thinking it doesn't mean anyone else is. And be very wary of projecting your pride or your selfishness or even your offense that you take up for someone else, be very wary of projecting that onto others. Because when you do, it simply justifies more sinful behavior on your part instead of allowing God to deal with the ugliness that's in your heart. Because look at what happens with Saul. From this moment forward, it says that Saul eyed David. The word there, eyed, is actually two Hebrew words. It means to see everything through a wicked or twisted lens. Everything that he saw David do now, he saw it through a wicked, twisted lens. So nothing that David did was taken at the face value of what he actually did. It would be like if my wife, she's the cook in the family. Um, I do something. What do I do? She cooks. I think I eat. 
So it'd be like her putting a meal in front of me and she works hard at this and here, honey. And I say something like, what does that mean? What does that mean? Here, honey. Everything, everything becomes now through this lens. And, And even just everyday things become more than that, more than they are. Whenever David came around, Saul only saw evil plots to overthrow or bad motives. And it is impossible, impossible to have any kind of meaningful relationship when that's the case. Whether it's your marriage, a friendship, a work relationship, it is impossible to have any kind of meaningful relationship when that's what's in your heart, when that's how you see another person. And can I just say, This is one of the most dangerous attitudes to have if you are a leader or you aspire to be a leader. Like, for example, if someone is telling me, hey, I have a heart to serve, a heart to lead, or I feel a call to ministry, this is one of the things that I immediately look for. I want to know, is there this type of selfish ambition? Is there this type of sensitivity to others and how they're succeeding around them? For example, selfish ambition asks the question, why am I never picked for this? Why am I never picked for this? And it sees those who serve with them, not as comrades, but as those who hold them back. If you have any aspirations to be a leader of any kind, purge yourself of selfish ambition. Prosperity never comes from people. It comes from the Lord. That's what you read in Psalm 75. It comes from the Lord. And so anytime you are thinking, oh, they're trying to hold me back, what you are really saying is God isn't giving me what I deserve. Anytime you think that, they're holding me back, what you are actually saying is God isn't giving me what I deserve because prosperity doesn't come from those people. I have had people at times say, I remember I had a conversation with a gentleman very early on in the ministry. This was 20 plus years ago. And he said to me, he's like, why are you always holding me back? Why won't you let me do this? Or why won't you let me do that? Why won't you let me do this? And, and I remember I had to answer him. I said, because that's what you're telling me. Your answer tells you why. You already have your answer. Because what you're saying is not I'm holding you back because I don't have the ability to hold you back. You think I'm that important? You think I have that much power? You think that God's really going, wow, I'd really like to promote this guy, but Will's a jerk. No. What you're really saying is, God isn't giving me what I deserve because who can hold back the Lord? David has zero ill motives towards Saul, zero ill thoughts towards Saul. And the Lord would promote David when the Lord wanted to. And David was fine with that. He was perfectly fine with that. So even though David is anointed to be Saul's replacement, David never, never attempts to take the kingdom from Saul, even when Saul's trying to kill him. Now, in contrast to David's humble attitude, selfless, has no ambition, Saul refused to step down when God told him he was done. He stubbornly holds on to the kingdom for years after God rejected him. And thus the people that Saul was supposed to serve, the man, David, who is one of the most loyal people to Saul, these people begin to become suspects in a plot that never existed. A jealous and an envious heart sees evil in others 
and justifies its own behavior. It is the opposite of love, for it's the fruit of selfishness. And that's why 1 Corinthians 13 says, love does not envy. It's not jealous, because it can't be. Jealousy is selfish. Lord, we don't want to let fear or jealousy or envy, Lord, just fester in our hearts. And Lord, we recognize that Saul's not like some unique person who is just really susceptible to these things. Lord, we are all capable of failing and falling to the same mindset that Saul had. So Lord, you know, here, here is our heart. You know, search it. See if there's anything in there that's jealous or envious or, or fearful that's causing us to, to have struggles in our relationships with others. That's causing us to maybe see evil where there isn't evil. That's causing us to constantly justify our own behavior when you're trying to deal with us. That we're always seeing the negative in others rather than seeing the areas in us that need to be sanctified. So Lord, search our hearts. See if there be any wicked way in us. And then lead us in your way everlasting. We're so grateful that when you reveal ugly things in our hearts, you do it because you love us. You're not condemning us. You're not angry at us. You're not frustrated by us. But you reveal these things because you love us and and you're drawing us to light. You're drawing us to you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Help us to do it by your spirit. Amen. This has been In the Word with Pastor Will Ramirez, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. You can listen to all of Pastor Will's sermons and find other valuable resources online at www.calvarychapelorlando.com or on the Calvary Chapel Orlando app, available on iTunes and Google Play. If you have any spiritual or physical needs, please contact us. We would love to pray for you and assist you in any way we can. You can reach us at 407-523-0800 during our office hours. Tuesday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. Thank you for joining us today. We will see you next time as we continue to learn, walk, and live in the Word. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.